Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening once again, everybody. Tom and Keith back with you. It is another Wednesday. It is the front row. Good to be back by your side, KJ. You know, Keith and I have known each other for a long time, but truthfully, right now, we never do see each other except for this, this terrific hour we get spending. In terms of sight lines, you're correct. We may talk on the phone a time or two, but uh, how you doing? Exactly. So, well, there's nothing to talk about this week. No, uh, no. Ironically, this this is a sign that we are truly uh, members of the ACC, Keith, because Florida State lost a football game, and... Lo and behold, it's basketball media day, and there's excitement about ACC basketball season. Basketball today, Wednesday, as we speak, and uh, we'll have the opportunity to talk with uh, Stan Jones a little, uh, well, I guess in the next segment, if we stay on track about FSU and basketball, but... Yeah, Leonard Leonard was up there uh, talking to the media today, so Stan will be kind enough to join us next segment. Tim Linnefelt, our uh, Seminoles.com insider, will be with us uh, later in the hour, and uh, we'll pick his brain about basketball, but also about football, which is where we're going to start. Before we do that, we should tell you that uh, this portion of the program is uh, brought to you by our good friends at Madison Social. Tonight is Wednesday night. Uh, If you were there last night or any Tuesday night, you get trivia night. Of course, uh, back to a home game this weekend. I haven't even bothered to check in with Matt Thompson to see what they've got on tap for Halloween uh, I would think there's a costume or 12 involved. Yeah, good time will be had by all. Uh, head on down to Madison Social. You know the drill. You know where to find it. Be a good weekend uh, out there, and hopefully a good weekend on the football field as well for Florida State after what was a very disappointing night in Atlanta. So wh- when are you going to tell me I was right? About? I told you this was not going to be a pleasant game. Well, I, I was in that camp too. I mean, I didn't have Georgia Tech winning, but I didn't have i wasn't on the jeff cameron page either that florida state was going to roll i i was i was genuinely concerned about what was going to happen in atlanta i really really was i did not think florida state would lose don't don't misunderstand not trying to toot horn that way but sat there watching and comprehending and going gosh you know i I guess i just wasn't as surprised as as maybe a lot of people were i'm going to share a story i don't think i've told this to you keith and then we'll get back to this game but so last drive of the game probably during the timeout, 15 seconds left, 20 seconds left, I move under the goalpost that Aguayo is going to be kicking at. Our good friend Monk Bonasort is there. We're both there for the same reason. We're going to get a look and see what this kick looks like. So during the timeout, and there's literally uh, the distance from the back of the goal line to the student section oh, is, geez. is about, a, about equivalent to the studio yeah, we're sitting yeah, in right here. It's real close in, at Grant State. Yeah, so Grant Field. we look up and there's these two Georgia Tech students, and one of them looks down at us. And he says, man, I am just – I'm fried. I can't handle overtime. He said, last week, Pitt's kicker hit a 57-yard field goal, the longest field goal of his career to beat us. I just can't do it. The other Georgia Tech student says, does your kicker have a good leg? And we both said, yeah, he's got a pretty good leg. And he says, well, that's good because I'd hate for him to come up short and us catch the ball and return it for a touchdown. And Monk and I just kind of laughed and then went back to watching the game. And then it happened, not exactly that way. Right, right. And I turned around for a second. I was at least going to give the guy credit for this. 
But at that point, they were all jumping onto the field, and I decided that my best move was to exit. So that's exactly what I did. All right, that doesn't make anybody from FSU feel any better, but that actually is a true story there in terms of how it unfolded. But as I said that night, and I'm sure you would agree with this, that game was not lost in the final six seconds on that kick. No, it was that lost game, in the red zone. It was lost the, the prior 59 minutes and 54 seconds. No, but it was lost in the red zone. Most notably in the red zone. You know, it's one of the things I, I pulled this stat. I did not check it, so we did not fact check uh, check this. Even stat. if it's a little rough around the edges, your point will be driven home. With Last seventy six plays that Florida State has run in the red zone, which I believe goes back to right at the first of the season. It, it may carry over a little bit in the Oregon game. Uh, I, I haven't checked, but the last seventy six plays that Florida State has run in the red zone. 26 incomplete passes, 11 runs of zero or lost yardage, five penalties, two sacks, one interception. So 45, 60%, 45 of the last 76 plays in the red zone have stunk. And that's where your problem is with this Florida State offense. They're very good between the 20s. And for whatever reason, we could spend a lot of time talking about the reason. I don't know that I would say they're very good between the 20s. Well, comparatively speaking, they're very good between the 20s. You know, part of the reason that the red zone issues have been masked is because Dalvin Cook has managed to put together – his average touchdown scoring play is 38 38 38 yards. yards. No, no, that's a valid point. It's come from outside the red zone. valid point. What I I said after the game, and I knew this going in, which is why I was concerned about Georgia Tech, um, they shorten the game because they limit possessions. When you limit possessions, it magnifies your deficiencies. It makes those red zone possessions unbelievably important. It makes any area you're deficient in get magnified, though. And for Florida State, that, that certainly showed up in an ugly way. Sidebar that doesn't have to do with this specific game. There's been long-time sort of groundswell from Seminole fans that they wish FSU and Georgia Tech were in the same division because of the proximity. And I will just reiterate, uh, having been to several FSU-Georgia Tech games, probably every one since the early night, since maybe since the ACC. I haven't gone and looked at it, but I've been there an awful lot. It was a terrific weekend, terrific environment, a lot of Florida State folks there. And I do really think that it would be great if somehow – now, nobody from the ACC is making this push. There's a caveat. The caveat is I want no part of that until Paul Johnson is done coaching Georgia Tech. That's exactly where I'm going. I know. I don't want that offense. I'd love to play Georgia Tech every year, but I don't want to play that offense every year. No, no, and I I don't think anybody does. And it's just that that's the way Georgia Tech football is. It comes, you know, they they limit possessions. It comes down to – I mean, think about 08 was – last possession of the game 09 here was back and forth in a passing fest that it may have ended up being a 10-point game but then both ACC championship games were down to the last drive this was that's what you get with Georgia Tech and it is and 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 I think back to your original point I think the trip is easy Uh, the locale i.e. Atlanta is fun every other year up there is not too much you could stand that Uh, but I I knew exactly where you were going uh, relative to I don't want that whoever changed not that anyone is discussing the change don't want that to change until Georgia Tech changes their offense. Yeah, and uh, again, nobody that that's gotten no serious traction anywhere right. except on FSU message boards and in conversations like this. So that that is not imminent. Yeah. So how do you fix the red zone? That's that's really the question here because to me, and, and I think the in my opinion the overriding answer to FSU's issues, not just red zone but in general, is youth. But that is sort of a simple explanation for things that you got to continue to work on each and every week. So I guess. In my mind, long term, meaning next year, 
uh, Florida State's going to end up being fine as these guys get more seasoned. Short term, I'm not so sure that in these five days of practice leading up to the Syracuse game that it's going to look a whole lot better in the red zone. My simple answer, and this is an overly simplistic answer, but to your question, is, is you get more aggressive. You go ahead and take chances throwing the ball. You take chances with the with the option. You take chances of getting Golson out of the pocket into the flat run uh, run uh, pass options, uh, and 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 that's what you've got to do. And then you just live or die with what happens. Uh, we'll get into this more, but one of the things that I did find interesting, and a couple of people I talked to, is, is a couple of them of the of the procedure penalties was because Florida State was going on a silent count. And the, and the guards were now one of the guards, left guard in particular, was now more involved in signaling to the center when to signal the ball. So you get into that routine. All right, if I see the guard slap him, I go one count, two count. I should be off. And sometimes the center was going three count. So the the silent count was some of the issue relative. Well, th- that, to that was one of the two bad snaps for sure was because the guard tapped the center at the wrong time, right. and so Hofield snapped it, and that was a loss of ten. You know, in, in this offense. You know, you lose seven or eight yards, you've basically basically blown up a series at that point. Sometimes, yeah. You know, which is what's happened. Well, I, I was thinking back about it, and I, I th- the defense, I'm not going to give the defense a pass because the drive before the end of the first half is when momentum totally changed, and obviously there was the fourth down conversion at the end of the game. Well, no, the entire third quarter, in my opinion, just continued that momentum change. Here's what I was going to say, though, as I look at it, and, and we do need to get to break and we'll shift to basketball. So Derwin James gets beat on that fourth down true freshman the first drive of the third quarter they had georgia tech off the field face mask penalty on roderick hoskins who's a sophomore inadvertent didn't try to still a stupid penalty travis rudolph not his finest game sophomore roderick johnson false starts sophomore i I know people don't want to hear youth as an excuse because some of these guys have played but at the end of the day that is part of what it's it's also a reason you can call it an excuse you can call it a reason it's one of the dangers of playing youthful players is they will make youthful mistakes right we'll we'll continue this conversation with tim in a little while hey by the way veterans day is approaching and you may be looking for a way to honor your active duty men and women will prime meridian bank and deer lake middle school have an answer a giant care package for the troops between now and and Thursday, November 5th, stop by any Tallahassee Prime Meridian Bank location and they will gladly accept your donation. What do you want to bring? Personal items like disposable razors, soap and body wash, Q-tips, food items such as hard candy, breakfast bars, instant coffee packs like Starbucks, VIA, or fun items like paperback novels, DVDs, playing cards. The 7th graders of Deer Lake Middle School will package everything as part of their observance of Veterans Day, and then Prime Meridian Bank will ship everything to the troops for the holidays. Make a difference in the lives of our men and women in uniform. Remember, Prime Meridian Bank, on or before Thursday, November 5th. For a complete list of requested items, you can always visit trymybank.com. He is Keith Jones. I am Tom Block. Stan Jones, no relation, relation. will join us uh, in our next segment here on the front row as we're just getting started. Stay with us. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, we are back. Halloween is rapidly approaching. It's almost time to fall back on the clocks. Football team has a loss. But more importantly, it's basketball season, right? Stan Jones, kind enough to join us, associate head coach for Florida State for a long time. Now, Stan, how many years is this for you, by the way? 
This is starting season number 14. Season number 14. Hey, listen, thanks for a few minutes of your time, and uh, we do appreciate it. The uh, The ACC Operation uh, Basketball was today, and uh, FSU picked sixth. Uh, general general thoughts on that uh, from your standpoint? Well, and um, as a competitive coach, I'm, I'm hoping we're way higher than that. And uh, But uh, you know, we'll see this. We've had a phenomenal preseason camp. Uh, our guys have uh, been super energized, very competitive. And uh, I've been doing this a long time, and, and to go through – 15 days of practice without a, a down day where guys just really don't uh, show up and feel like being there has been very encouraging to me. So I, I hope uh, that puts us right solidly in the mix. Of Stan, a lot, of, yeah, this year. a lot of expectations because of your recruiting and the kids that you've bring, brought in. You've obviously uh, scouted, recruited, signed. You've now got them on the court. You've had 15 days. What's, what's standing out? What's jumping out at you? Well, Number one, all the new guys have a tremendous, tremendous basketball IQ. Uh, they're picking things up extremely quickly. Uh, they all have a, a diverse skill set. They all are able to score the ball uh, maybe a little more easily than some other uh, squads we've had in the past. And uh, they love basketball. That's been the most exciting thing. You know, A lot of times you get new kids in and they get enamored with being off at college and uh, all the things that go on with being on a campus like Florida State. And this guy, these guys have come in and they've been – Totally focused on wanting to be an elite basketball team and elite basketball players. You know, you talk about they can score the basketball pretty well. Uh, conveniently, perhaps, with the reduced shot clock, uh, I mean, that comes at a good time for you. But I'm curious your general thoughts on the fact that we're going from a 35 to a 30-second shot clock now and what that will impact or how that will change the course of games as we watch this season, Stan. Well, I think you're going to see a lot of, a lot of really – Difficult shots taken late in shot clocks because people are going to scheme defensively. And that's where so many people, uh, Tom and Keith, they, they forget. You know, we want to change all these rules to be like uh, the FIBA or like the NBA model, but we're not changing the, the defensive rules. And uh, so you're going to see people really trying to, to make you melt into that shot clock and then make guys make plays when the shot clock becomes a sixth defender. Um, so it's going, to, it's going to be a factor. And, and the teams that have guys that are capable of creating some shots on their own uh, and with, the, with defensive pressure on them are going to be the teams that will end up being the, the most successful teams through the course of the season. Stan, a lot been made over the last couple of years that Florida State maybe has gotten away from that uh, junkyard dog mentality on the defensive side. All of these kids got great ball skills. Uh, what, what are you seeing? What are you doing? What, what can you do, again, with the 30-second clock and with the talent that you'll now put out there early in the year when you, when you talk about the defensive side of the ball? You know, all these guys have come in and they've been they've been willing to buy in on everything we've tried to get them to do. Um, you know, Chris Kamaje adds a component to that uh, junkyard defense mentality at, at seven four plus, and uh, he's as an elite shot blocker coming in as solid as Oliver was or Bernard James was, and maybe even more superior than him in terms of just natural shot blocker. And uh, Boris Bojanovsky's having a uh, and Dark West Smith are having terrific preseasons. Uh, and showing a much more defensive presence, uh, defending the rim and the paint. Uh, you know, we we really looked at a few things uh, from some maybe some zone pressing, a uh, little bit more of some switching man to man stuff, some some matchup zone things. We're we're uh, we're, we're certainly going to try to use the rules of changes to our advantage as much as we can. 
on the offensive side, the, the talk from folks that have uh, visited and uh, folks that you and uh, Coach Ham and others have talked about is, is this is a team that A, can run and B, will run on the offensive end. Well, we certainly we want to push that ball up. I mean, with the shortened shot clock, you want to give yourself as many seconds on the clock to, to have an aggressive attack as you can and not get the, not get pinned against the shot clock. And, you know, there's one thing, you know, Xavier Rattan Mays is a, is a guy that uh, he has an unbelievable ability. He, he's he's got to be the fastest guy that I've coached uh, and the only guy that may be a little faster than him on advancing the ball on the floor uh, with the speed dribble may have been Ty lost to North Carolina back a few years ago. And uh, he can get from one end of the floor to the other and, uh, and, and put the defense back on their heels. And, and I think he's going to be much better this year because uh, he's, He's got more depth on the wings and more, more talent that's going to give him a better advantage to people to see his playmaking ability more than just his shot-making ability this year. And um, we, we definitely want to get to that. And then you know, the, the good thing about every perimeter player we got, um, all the way down to the, to the three freshman guards at the end, and, uh, and Robbie Berwick back as a sophomore and Benji Bell as a junior college transfer, Devin Booker and Monte Brandon, they can all go on the glass and get a defensive rebound and I think the hardest fast break to guard is when the rebounder can take the ball off the glass and start a, uh, a, a transition push immediately without having to look for an outlet pass. And all these guys have shown uh, great, great skill and, and uh, ability to do that this preseason. So I think the fans are going to be excited to see uh, the pace of the game uh, and, and the skill set that these guards are going to be able to play with the depth we have. They're going to be able to really keep that pushed up for the 40 minutes. I know there's been a lot of hype about the freshmen that have come in because they were so highly touted. But you mentioned uh, a name that I'm curious about. I was at the jam with Ham, and uh, he looked really impressive to me. And I'm talking about Devin Booker. Uh, just just fill us in. And, and he's had some health issues, you know, during his career. But uh, he looked pretty good. What What's going on with Devin right now? Well, Devin, I think the, the excitement of his senior year, uh, and a lot of guys, when they see that finish line, they really get into a new level of maturity. Uh, also, the new excitement and the depth of competition in practice for uh, for playing time and, and, and position spots uh, has, has really focused him. And this is also the first preseason he's had in his whole career where he's gone through the summer and the preseason without some kind of either surgery or and he had a little accident um, off the court when he was a freshman where he missed the whole preseason. And um, he, nobody's got to see really the true Devin Booker for a whole season. And He's shooting the ball great right now. He's really worked on some things to enhance his footwork and his shooting mechanics to get his shot off quicker. And he's really worked on adding a shot fake where people are going to be knowing that trying to take away his three point shot. And um, he's also a kind of a calming effect. And he's really worked on his point guard skills as well. That and we want to play it a little bit different uh, thing. Maybe put Xavier off the ball some. He can he can really control and, and get us in and out of stuff. So. I'm looking forward to Devin having a really good senior year for the Seminoles. Stan, uh, by some estimates, six 7,000 turned out for the um, uh, Jam and Ham. We've got a couple of exhibition games coming up on Monday the 2nd, November 2nd, and Monday on November the 9th. Both of those will be at 7 uh, in the uh, Tucker Center. Uh, uh, a new locker room, some other continued improvements in your in your home uh, to make it more Seminole-friendly. Uh, the kids, are I, I, I'm being told, are responding to that and really enjoying uh, wanting to hold the home court as it is. No, and that that needs that needs to become a big big factor for us. You know, I know uh, Hauser Stadium and Doe Campbell Stadium; those are kind of house of horrors for opponents coming on town on our campus. And we certainly need the Tucker Center to be that. Uh, and I think people are going to 
want to come earlier. You know, the, one of the rules changes that not many people have talked about, which really doesn't affect the game, other than unless somebody hangs on the rim, is you know, kids are now going to be allowed to dunk in in uh, pregame uh, layup lines, warm up lines, and uh, you know, with the athletes and the and the and the, the, the uh, jumping ability that we have on this squad and the, and the height. You know, you, you want them to get in the building early, get a, get a, get a feel for it, start getting uh, hyped up for the game. It's going to add a, add a new element to pregame, and, uh, and our guys really want to come in and make uh, make our basketball arena the toughest place to play in the uh, in the ACC, and they want to be the best team. And uh, they're talking about that stuff. That's not just coach speak talking to them in team meetings. The kids, what they kids want to make Florida State uh, one of the elite programs, not only in the ACC but nationally. We're talking with FSU basketball associate head coach Stan Jones here on the front row. Stan, what other of the rule changes uh, are going to have the most significant impact in terms of changing the flow of the game or the style of play, that sort of thing? Because there's actually, uh, we're not going to talk about all of them, but there's seven or eight or nine changes here. Yeah, a couple things. You know, they cut down the number of timeouts. Um, you're only going to have four that a coach can call, and if it's around the TV break, uh, the timeout you call will now become the TV break, so it's going to try to speed the pace of play up uh, with, without so many long delays. Uh, that'll be a factor. The second thing is, you know, if, if we were in a trap situation or struggling to get the ball across half court in a uh, in a trap situation, the head coach can can no longer call a timeout from the sideline while the clock's ticking. The players are going to have to be aware of making that call and when not to burn timeouts. So those are things we've been trying to educate our guys to and practicing those situations. Uh, and then the the, uh, the no charge circle has been moved out to the same distance as the uh, as the NBA. It's a foot further out. It's four feet from the rim. Uh, so people are really going to have to uh, to get their defensive uh, anticipation out there. When, and there's there's no longer a call where if, if you get a charge call, they can't count the basket. All charges are going to automatically uh, take points off the board. Uh, so that call is going to be interesting for the referees and the. I think you're really going to see, and uh, Keith, as uh, and Tom, as you guys call our games, it's going to go back to two years ago, I believe. Here, for the, and we'll see if they do it for the whole season. They're going to be the freedom of movement on bumping cutters, putting hands on dribblers, putting hands on guys in the low post. Those are supposed to be automatic fouls called again. They want people to clean up and get more scoring involved. So I think special emphasis. Yep, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of free throws here early in the season, and we'll see if they sustain it. They didn't sustain it two years ago. Um, but you know everybody's wanting it. The media's pushing it, and uh, and we'll see if they'll take the discipline to try to get everybody to change their defensive concepts to, to play without so much uh, contact. Tom, you can tell that, that Stan is up on these things because you said only mentioned a couple. He mentioned dang near every one of them. Well, I know that they've had. <laughs> well, and this is this is worth asking a question. But I know from talking to Chuck Walsh, you just had a, a referee or a rules official come in, and I right. mean you spend time working with the team on this. And kind of uh, expound upon that a little bit, Stan. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things. We've had to put some situational things in, you know, uh, the 10 count uh, to get it across. No reset. Court, no reset. No reset. So if you call a timeout, the ball gets knocked out of bounds, there's 22 seconds left on the shot clock. You've got two seconds to get it across half court. So you have to have some side out of bounds, some baseline out of bounds things to try to throw the ball to spots on the floor to get, give yourself time to get across the, uh, the half court line. Uh, that's that's something we've really been working on. Uh, if, you got, if you're dribbling the ball now, you the defense, it doesn't matter how close to their guard. There's no five-second count anymore if you're dribbling. So a guy can just stand there and pound the ball the whole time if he wants to. And so we've talked about that defensively and uh, and how we're going to handle those situations. And uh, uh, the most important is just trying to eliminate the, the fouls that are supposed to be automatic, playing defense without your hands and 
you know, keeping the right kind of spacing uh, uh, and not bumping cutters when the, when they're coming through the lane and trying to you know, keep your, your technique solid. Stan, let me ask you this, uh, I, and I don't know if there's a definitive answer, but typically you guys, you know, you'll go 10, 11 deep for the first several games of the year. Do you, is there a certain benchmark in terms of number of games when you, when you say, okay, we've got to start shortening the bench now and really know what our rotation is, or does it just play out how it plays out and that may be different one year to the next? Yeah, it, it, it depends from year to year. But, you know, you certainly when you recruit a kid, especially in basketball when there's only 13 scholarships allowable. Uh, you recruit a kid and you tell them they're going to get a chance to play, so you don't want to just right out of the gate say, well, you're not playing. So you want to give them that chance to see if they can contribute to winning. And uh, and it's the first time in uh, in several years we've had 13 guys uh, on scholarships. So there's going to be some serious uh, competition battles for, for that rotation. But uh, as you get closer to ACC play, uh, I believe you certainly will have to shorten that that uh, rotation down and and see which one of those guys are really going to uh, allow us to be super competitive in the league. And you know, I talk to them all the time when it's uh, I'm leading something in practice or in a team meeting. You know, we don't got don't need to be Wally Pip and uh, have a bad day and Luke Derrick takes place and you don't get back in the lineup. So <laughs> every day needs to be uh, needs to be a. a an interview in front of the coaches that you can make an impact on winning. And I think that's why we've had such a, a terrific amount of practice, uh, positive practice this start the season. Stan, as we wrap up here, a, a negative leading to a positive. Nine consecutive uh, seasons where uh, Florida State was in the uh, the postseason. Uh, last NCAA appearance was in 2012. This certainly in the 15-16 year looks like a year where Florida State's goals will include the NCAA and beyond. I know you've talked about it with the kids. I know they, they think about it. Uh, uh, how do you how do you use that as proper motivation, uh, particularly early in the year? Well, you know we got a, we got a senior class of five guys. Four of them have been here for for four years, and they haven't had a chance to participate in the NCAA tournament. So, uh, I think they're very very committed, and they've been they've been driving the locker room conversation uh, about they want to go out uh, hanging a banner and putting an NCAA. Uh, banner on the Civic Center uh, rafters and on the wall in the practice facility. And, uh, you know, every kid's goal. They want to play on that big, big blue jump circle and be part of March Madness. And uh, so, you know, they, they know what they have to do. And they, they also know that, uh, you know, the guys that have aspirations to play at the next level, if you're not impacting winning, very few guys are uh, are getting drafted that don't take their team into the NCAA tournament and, uh, and making runs uh, to get as deep as they can. So, uh, our guys understand that right now, and uh, we've been very close. You know, year before last, we needed one more win. We we lost a close game to Michigan in overtime. We lost to Florida at the buzzer, um, and we lost a couple of close games at home that year to Miami and Clemson. We had a chance to win, and you know, we need to make sure we don't have any of those uh ohs and, and give ourselves the best opportunity to be as high speed as possible, and and give ourselves a chance to make another run to, to get to Sweet Sixteen that second weekend and beyond. Well, we're looking forward to it. There's there's a buzz about basketball. It really thing, is. And it's, it really it's going to be fun to watch. Thanks so much for uh, giving us a little insight into the uh, the new look New Year Knowles. Thanks for having us. I hope all our listeners will get out here early and, and start seeing us early in the season. They're going to like watching uh, this team play because they're going to be high energy and they're going to be a lot of uh, highlights, I believe, in the Tucker Center this year. All right, sounds good. Associate Head Coach Stan Jones from FSU Men's Basketball. We're up against a break. We'll come back and react to that uh, conversation. Keith Jones and Tom Block with you here on the front row.
Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. back. Tom and Keith once more. This particular portion of the show is brought to you by the Flying Bear, family-owned and operated restaurant located uh, on the north side of town of Thomasville Road. If you live in northeast Tallahassee, you know where it is. You've probably been there, chances are, because uh, it's got good food, good atmosphere. Come on and uh, join them Sunday to Thursday, 11 to 9, Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. That is the uh, the Flying Bear. I know the, uh, the Block family uh, makes it out there quite often, particularly because we live out that way. Uh, that said, uh, we will direct this back to football, uh, especially in our next segment with, uh, when Tim Linnefelt joins us. But you uh, get a ringside seat for every basketball game that Florida State plays, and uh, you've done so. What year did you say this is, 16? This was going into year 16. Year 16. Well, you, you may have as uh, good a bunch as you've had. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. Now, you were there for the, the team that made it to several tournaments in a row, but I, I think there's reason to be excited, not just – because of the freshmen, but what we just discussed, a healthy Booker, a lot of seniors, uh, some rules changes that even though, and we didn't ask Stan, I don't, I, you know, I think Stan and Leonard are defensive guys at heart that necessarily didn't really want to see some of these changes. Yeah, I, I think but given that, his own record, he doesn't like the 35 to 30 second change. Well, and I don't clock. think they like the, the reduction of timeouts either because they lose another opportunity to, to coach and teach and all those sorts of things. But the rules changes are directed at, uh, today's generation Keeping the twitter generation let's get let's up tempo let's get more scoring all that. i think it's gonna be a fun team to watch i do too i i agree and i think what's interesting is is you know in the past coach ham stan included uh, but coach ham and his staff have been reluctant to play the freshman a lot early that that type of thought process has also changed uh, amongst the florida state coaching staff i think they're going to roll those freshmen out early and often and get them playing time, and that wasn't necessarily the case three or five or ten years ago. Yeah, and some of that has to do with what Stan said about hoops IQ and also the talent there. Oh, I mean, no question. No I mean, question. I, I mean, I would argue because right now we're getting that question a lot on the football field as to why you're not seeing George Campbell and some of those guys. Jimbo doesn't have a rule against playing freshmen. No, no, not at all. I mean, it. you know, leadership, contribution, it doesn't have an age on it. I mean, if George Campbell was ready to play, Jimbo would have him out there. He's got Derwin James and Josh Sweat out there. I think you can probably say the same thing on the basketball court. If they thought the guys were ready to go, and and I think in this particular case, there's some freshmen that are going to be ready to go. you got Bacon, but I think Malik Beasley is the guy that's been – uh, that I've heard really good buzz about. Very much so. And and it's also going to be interesting to see how they, they, they get Bojo and Ojo and, and, and John Mark in there, uh, you know, the big guys. That's going to be your what you call him for his entire career, I'm, I'm, isn't I'm, it? I'm going to call him 17 different names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just am. Because how do you mix in the big guys when you're wanting to really run and push as much? Uh, so so balancing those two extremes is going to be interesting. I mean, I, I it's just going to be a fun fun 40 minutes in the civic center uh every time these kids show up what we didn't ask stan about and uh he wouldn't comment on it anyway but you you know you've got an interesting dynamic in the acc this year on on top of all the the blue blood basketball programs if you will you've got jim Beheim suspended for the first nine games of the year you got the situation at louisville right now which which is is, still unveiling which is a total mess there's still uh not that this well a lot of it is basketball related. You've got the academic thing hanging over the University UNC. of North Carolina right now. 
Uh, and then you got Duke being Duke. So I mean, there's there's a lot out there in and, terms and, of. And by the way, the the pecking order uh, at uh, up there was uh, amongst the preseason sports writers. Uh, UNC number one, UVA, Virginia number two, then Duke, then Notre Dame, Miami, Florida State, and also just announced uh, first team preseason uh, XRM, one of the top five in the ACC. So uh, he being recognized for his uh, scoring ability last year, his upside this year, it's it's going to be interesting both in terms of Florida State basketball and as you're pointing out in terms of ACC basketball. You mentioned Virginia with a with a reduced shot clock. What's the score in a Virginia game? Twenty one to twelve. I, I know. I mean, I, wow. It's already been 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 tough to watch. That's. You know, coaches have their systems. There's a reason they have them because well, they work. But but but, but Bennett, that version Bennett, of basketball, that's Bennett, like Georgia Tech football. I was going to say I mean, Bennett just looked at just like Johnson's yeah. looked back in football. Let's just abolish the systems there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it is going to be a fun basketball season. I will uh, see you at the Tucker Center on uh, Monday night for that first exhibition. Yeah, Saturday. again on the second and on the ninth uh, exhibition games. Uh, tip off is at seven. Uh, on the second, it'll be Lynn University, and on the ninth. Southeastern University, and then the opening game will be on Sunday, November 15th. That's a 3 o'clock tip against Nickel State. We didn't talk about it with Stan, but I, another guy I've heard some good things about is Jarquez Smith and how he's playing right he's now. He's really blossomed, uh, we're being told, uh, from from last year to this year, and just in terms of his confidence. Uh, and, and I think he's an inch or a little bit taller. I think he's actually had a little bit of a growth spurt, but we'll see. Yeah, well, and his Stan's point about competition and what it's led to uh that was an encouraging sign there and that that makes a lot of sense tom block and keith jones with you on the front row tim linnefelt will uh, join us next segment our seminoles.com insider and we'll go back to football uh we can actually do that now for just a couple of minutes anything else i mean we just glossed over it that that well we, we got to go all the way back remember in the beginning of the year we're going nine and three ten and two you just didn't know where the loss would occur uh, you know, uh, Florida State, what, uh, 35 and 2 over the last 37 games. They'd won, what, 30 consecutive regular season games, 28 consecutive ACC regular season contest. I mean, it's not the end of the world. Uh, it's a bad loss. It's not a loss that uh, you can look at and say that uh, you're proud of or that uh, you learn from, uh, <laughs> excuse me, from, from the standpoint of, you know, how it fits. It'll be interesting to see how this young team responds to a loss. That'll be a telling factor how they come out against Syracuse, uh, but it's not the end of the world. And, and candidly, anybody with any sense knew that some things like this were going to happen anyway. What do you think about Jimbo's point? I, I happen to, to buy into this, but it, the basic premise, guys are making mistakes. He doesn't use the word pressing, but it comes from a good place. They're trying too hard to do good. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm way back to old school, though, Tommy. Uh, procedure penalties, lining up offsides. Uh, those are those are not tolerable. You get benched for those, and 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 that's just the way it is. I don't care who you are or how good you are. Uh, the only thing that gets these kids' attention is playing time. So uh, I, I would be doing some things a little different than Jimbo would. Uh, but by the same token, I am not the head coach at Florida State University, and there's probably a pretty good reason why. Well, let me expand upon it, and then we can bring Tim in the conversation next segment. This is a an oversimplification, and I have not watched Florida play much football at all this year. But to me, it feels like Florida's players finally now have the mindset of, you know, just go out there and play. What's the worst that can happen if you make a mistake? The worst that can happen is you go four and eight. They just did that. 
whereas Florida State's players are, are, are in this mindset that comes from winning. What's the worst that can happen if you get beat uh, on a play? You get beat deeper. You make well. The worst that can happen is you lose a game, which hasn't been happening here. But they so. don't know what that feels like. Right. They the, don't know what that feels but, like. But there's that concern that if they don't continue that thing, I, it just feels like they're in that sort of place. Like it. I mean, what do you, when your when your team's been what it is at Florida the last couple of years, you can lay it all out there because so what if you go seven and five? Kind Th- of thing? There's probably that. And Keith is seven, rolling his eyes. Seven other doctrines he, out there. Keith's rolling his eyes at me right now, which is a, a sign. We'll just step aside and and we'll we'll let Tim be the arbiter when we come back. This is the front row, and our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linfelt will join us, and we'll talk more FSU football when we return. Stay with us. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. And we are back on the show. It is time now for our Seminoles.com insider report, which means we're joined by our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt. Tim, hold that thought for a second because I need to remind folks that. After each and every home game, you can catch Jimbo Fisher's post-game press conference, which streams live on Seminoles.com. Watch it on your phone, tablet, mobile device of your choice, or uh, your old-school desktop. You can also see the Monday press conference, which I imagine had some pretty high viewership this past week because people were probably interested in what Jimbo had to say in light of the uh, finish in Atlanta and at Georgia Tech. And all that said, uh, Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Tom? Thanks it's, for having me. Yeah, you bet. It's uh, good to catch up as always. Uh, we haven't really debriefed uh, too much, maybe a little bit after the game we did, but uh, four days after the fact, uh, have you uh, solved any of Florida State's issues or found any other problems that we need to dissect? Uh, just just kind of give us your perspective on where they are right now, Tim. I don't know if there's any new ones. Uh, really, my over my my overarching thought, I guess if that's the word, uh, is that all the problems that we saw early on in the season that they were able to win in spite of kind of came up uh, at Georgia Tech, and and this time they they were almost able to win in spite of those those problems. I think you know, if you look at if you have a Roberto Aguayo lining up for a, a game winning field goal attempt, even a fifty six yarder at that, uh, given everything that had gone wrong up to that point, you probably would take it if you're a Florida State fan. Uh, that said, you know the the ending notwithstanding. Uh, it wasn't just a blocked field goal that, that lost that game for Florida State. It was the uh, the culmination of events that, that led to that position, and that, I think, is what probably has to be a little bit frustrating for them. Everything starts up front. Um, uh, I, I, I was a little more disappointed in the play of the offensive line in Atlanta, particularly the penalties. Uh, what are you hearing from the kids? Any change in lineup? What's the, what's the thought process as it relates to that segment, Tim? I don't know that there, that there is a change in, in lineup. I don't know what their options are necessarily. You know, um, they, they kind of have the guys that they have. And you know, this isn't the first iteration of the offensive line that they've had either. This is, you know, we're on, you know, depending on your definition of a, of a full combination, this is combination three or maybe even five, depending on, you know, some injuries and things like that. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, those guys have to have to do better. I think they know, everybody knows, that two false start penalties, you know, one on the five-yard line and one on the four-yard line. I mean, it's just killer. Uh, you know, you certainly would have liked to have had an extra five yards for that for that field goal attempt uh, at the end of the game, too. So, uh, you know, I, I I heard somebody tell me, asked me. They said, you know, do you think it's a lack of discipline? And I don't know that it's discipline. I think sometimes 
um, you know, there, there still are some some new guys on that line, and I think composure maybe is a bit of an issue, particularly up against a tough defensive line. Uh, Louisville's defensive line was was obviously very challenging, and, and Georgia Tech had one lineman in particular who was just wreaking havoc all night. And I think that you know when you when you run into those problems, you, you start you know if I'm getting beat off the line, well, what am I going to try to do? I'm going to try to get a get a jump as quick as I can, and then sometimes that jump is, or maybe not just sometimes, too many times that jump is coming too early, and it and it leads to these these penalties. So I, I don't know that there's any you know press this red button solution. I think they just have to get better. And and Tom and I talked about this in an earlier segment, but but Grant Field, you don't normally associate it with being loud, but but it was rather loud. And Florida State on a number of drives went with that uh, with the silent count that that lent itself to problems as well. Yeah, I, I thought the stadium was was really surprisingly loud. I think part of it is the way that it's built, uh, the acoustics in there, and going down, it sort of sort of goes down into the ground. Uh, and then also, you know, and this is kind of a weird thing to point out, but I thought that the, the sound system and the music and the lights there were just really, really overwhelming. It you didn't probably, like the laser show? <laughs> it was just, just felt a little bit out of place. And, and I thought the music <laughs> uh, was was as loud as any stadium I'd ever been at. Uh, you know, not to not to sound like you know get off my lawn, but at one point my ears were hurting uh, that it was so loud in there. And so, welcome you know, to the club, that, brother. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Good to be here. I, I don't. I don't know if that played a factor at all, but but it was really loud um, in there, and, and and the fans were loud too. Again, it's it, it, I think the stadium seats fifty five thousand, but the way they're seated and, and the way that the stadium is constructed, maybe it sounds a little bit louder than some larger stadiums. Well, I, I do think the sound was a fa- the the noise was a factor from the standpoint that FSU's two other road games this year were at BC, BC and, and at Wake Forest, yeah, right? So it clearly was the loudest. Yeah, that. I, Tim, everywhere that FSU plays now, they crank up the sound system that way. When you go to a, when you play at Miami, it's as loud and atrocious as you can imagine. Uh, they do it at Clemson with the "We Will Rock You" on third down. Uh, Wake Forest does it. I mean, it, it's become more of the norm. It's not exactly cowbells, but everybody does that, and certainly Georgia Tech. I'm not making excuses for the way the team played. I'm just pointing out that that goes on. Let me ask you this: I'll, I'll shift gears a little bit, Tim. The, the red zone is obviously a big issue, and and Keith and I haven't discussed it to this point but i believe it was the series that uh, where the interception was thrown georgia tech started the game uh, without either one of their safeties or one of their corners who was ruled out at the last minute with injury right then on that drive they lost another member of their secondary and a starting linebacker so at that point three of their back seven regulars were not on the field as florida state and again there were some some penalties and i'm just saying that the red zone issues uh, are I guess are bigger even than maybe what the numbers show when you consider a bad Georgia Tech defense was missing three out of seven of their starters in, in the in the back end. Yeah, and look, you know this isn't the first time that we saw this. Uh, you know, red zone offensive problems uh, you know led to a, a closer game against Miami than than maybe that game should have been. And I you know I think the, the Georgia Tech game had had the red zone offense done a, a little even just a little bit better. Get a touchdown on that first drive instead of a field goal uh, when you're up ten to three and then you get down. Yeah, I think Roberto kicked a 27-yard field goal. Uh, if you get a touchdown there at 17-3, and, and maybe a two and five team decides to, to go ahead and, and call it an early night, we've seen it before. Uh, and then what happens? You kick a field goal, go up 13 to three. A few minutes later, Justin Thomas is going for a 60-yard touchdown, and, and now you know it, it's game on, which is exactly where you don't want to be. Uh, I, you know, I, I hate to not be very insightful this week, but I, it, it's kind of like the offensive line. I, I don't think that there's there's any magic. You know, sheet of the playbook that, that Jimbo Fisher has stuck together or anything like that. It's just, it's just not coming together. And 
I think you know the, everybody kind of shares some blame in that. I think the, the offensive line, of course, has to get better. Uh, Everett Golson, I thought after three really nice weeks, maybe took a little bit of a step back on Saturday, and, and then you know he wasn't really helped out by his receivers. Uh, you know, we had several drops. Uh, his interception in the end zone uh, was was Travis Rudolph. Uh, falling to the ground and tipping the ball up into the hands of a Georgia Tech receiver, and then like, that's just kind of bad luck. But it's indicative of of the kind of the way things are going for them in the red zone right now. It seems like nothing's going right. I think Jimbo's actual comment was, "There's no magic dust or something <laughs> no. like that." Yeah, I think he did say that. No, they had no magic dust, no magic plays, no no magic anything. It's just at at some point, at its most fun, fundamental level, it just comes down to to doing it. Well, you're halfway through preparing for the next game, a game you're favored by 20, 21 points. Syracuse coming in, new kickoff on Saturday at home. You're halfway through, as I mentioned, preparation. What are you seeing? Uh, what are you feeling? What's the vibe uh, as you sit uh, and talk with us this evening? I think it's pretty good. Uh, and to the man, everybody has sort of said the same thing. I, I thought Reggie Northrup had some interesting comments last night, one of the few seniors on the team. He said that, you know, he, he was asked if he didn't volunteer, but he was asked it and, and if, if maybe some guys had taken winning for granted a little bit. And he said, yeah, maybe so. And, and, and that's only only human nature uh, for, for a lot of the guys on the roster who, how could they not take winning for granted? It's, it's all that they had ever done. Uh, so, you know, in a sense, maybe it's good to, to have a bit of a wake-up call. Uh, obviously, you wish that it hadn't come after a loss, but but I think guys are, are, are ready to get back after it. I, I think, you know, if you look at it and in their minds, uh, the, all their goals, is, uh, certainly in the Atlantic Coast Conference, are in all likelihood still on the table. Uh, if, if you were to win the rest of your games in the ACC, obviously I think you're, if, if you're not in the ACC championship game, uh, it, it would be something strange. It's, it's usually Florida State or Clemson in there. Um, and then, you know, it, you'd probably need some help to get into the college football playoff. But, but it certainly is a possibility with, with only one loss. And yeah, I'm not I'm not here saying the Florida State's you know going to run the table and make the college football playoff. But from a player's perspective, that's what I heard. It, it's still on the table. Is that what you heard? <laughs> In fact, I, I, it's on the teletape right right now. Oh wait a minute, we got the internet. Never mind. <laughs> so, but but I think from a player's perspective, they can look at the rest of their schedule and say, if we do what we're supposed to do. Our goals are still achievable. Well, I, I think that's probably a good attitude. Yeah, I think that's true. I guess you know to phrase it how Jim uh, Jimbo has has talked about guys trying too hard if you will he won't say pressing but that's sort of what that is in your opinion with the loss now does do these players play better i mean does that take a monkey off their back well, or, or, or was last week just a precursor of more things to come because it's a young team and you're not going to fix those issues in you know over a week it's going to take a little while well i think those are two separate questions uh to, to start i i don't know the answer to the first and i think that it could go either way on the one hand uh, yeah the, the the pressure is off and, and i thought it was kind of an interesting thing just watching the team after the game uh, in the hallway as, as they were getting ready to go on the bus. And I just wonder, you know, they, I think, Tom, you and I talked about this. So a lot of those guys just went through these types of games so many times, especially last year where everything was coming down to the wire. Everything was just so intense, so high pressure that you wonder if, if they just, if you could even just engage yourself mentally that way anymore after playing, you know, five, six, seven, eight of those. Uh, so, you know, I wonder if, if, a, if, if, if it's going to be A, the pressure's off and they can just sort of exhale and, and play the way they know how to play, or B, if maybe the pressure ramps up a little bit knowing that you have lost a game and your margin for error to, to win the ACC and, and have a shot at, at, a, at a championship now is, is really slim to none. And I, I, you know, I think how the team responds I think will say a lot about you know, the makeup of this group and, and, and some of the players on it because I think it really could go either way. Well, we'll find out starting uh, 12 noon on Saturday. He is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. Thanks, Tim.
Anytime, Tom. Thank you. All right. Good stuff as always. And uh, I'll remind you once more, not just uh, Jimbo's presser and FSU football news on Seminoles.com, but uh, basketball content. If you want to learn more about the men's team, cover all Florida State athletics, uh, obviously uh, bookmark Seminoles.com if you haven't already. And you can tune into Jimbo's presser after the Syracuse game, uh, roughly 3.30 or so. Fire up your mobile device to Plus catch that. Plus or minus. Plus or minus on uh, Saturday. All right. A little bit of time left, and uh, we will exhaust that after uh, we take a timeout. Stay with us. No dark sarcasm in the classroom. You are listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, few minutes uh, remaining, Keith. What do you want to see or expect to see this weekend against Syracuse? Well, first of all, uh, listeners need to know. Uh, I'm going to tell them anyway if they don't want to. Uh, first game I ever dressed for, first game I ever started, Syracuse, 1978, up in the old Archbold Stadium, even before they had the Carrier Dome. Uh, ran all over the field with Monk covering Art Monk, and that was quite an experience. Uh, two things. Number one, this is an offense in Syracuse that, that does run the option. And they've got a young quarterback, freshman quarterback that has got some good wheels. So uh, they're going to be back to having to play defensively uh, sound assignment football. This is a, a team in, in Syracuse that can move the ball. Uh, they have lost four in a row, but all those losses have been close. Uh, they could very easily be coming in here with a much better record. Defensively, they're very weak, Tommy. They're very weak in the secondary. Just like we've talked about a couple of times in the past, this is a time offensively when Florida State needs to throw the ball down the field and let the vertical passing game open up the running game because that's where Syracuse is susceptible. Well, I'm going to be honest. The vertical passing game was open in Atlanta last Saturday. And they could, I agree. They could not hit it. And they, they tried to, and there were times where Everett missed it. There were times uh, where maybe he, he had a misread. But uh, I, it, it's something they've got to take advantage of yeah. this week. Well, and that's that really is a, a big thing that's hindering. I mean, we're talking about Cook. We haven't even really talked about Cook uh, and his hamstring and all that. But it, it's not helping matters that that passing game right now is horizontal and not vertical. Uh, and I agree. And, and it's not like they can't do it although they did fail on a few attempts in Atlanta, they've got to go back to it. And even if they fail at it, they've got to continue at it until they get it right because that's where you've got to attack this Syracuse defense. What are you going to be for Halloween? Halloween, I am going to be a 56-year-old poppy to eight grandbabies. How about that? Yeah, I'm going to be a daddy to uh, Reagan and Nolan. And uh, so I know everybody, uh, well, probably everybody without kids that's going to the game this week wishes it was at 3.30 or a night game. Those of us with young kids still the trick-or-treating age. We are very, very happy. We'll take the noon kick, be uh, very happy, enjoy Halloween, not lose points on the home front, and, and all will be well. I'm just hoping I can continue to pull that wagon after about an hour, hour and a half, and I don't, I don't fade <laughs> at the tail end. It will definitely be interesting. I mean, we're sort of at the point that if you went back to August, we probably expected Florida State right to be Right where you would expect to be. But the way the season unfolded, got our Louisville wasn't as good. Got our I'm, hopes up, and, and dadgummit. How about Miami, by the way? Now, we're in the final minute. I mean, I hate it. You, I, I, I am To a quote Jameis, if I'm you're going to do it big, do it big yeah. then. And boy, did they, I mean, they. And, and he's got four years plus left on his contract. 
Somebody, yeah. somebody will grab him. Maybe not at the head coaching job, but somebody will grab him as a coordinator. He's a quality guy, a quality man. I hate to see it happen to him. I'm a huge Golden fan. It'll be interesting to see which direction they yep. go, though, and UCF, too. I mean, that, that should be a whole topic uh, for a show, actually. Write that down. We always come up with topics just as we run out More of More NCAA coaching jobs available at this time of the season than has ever been in the past. I think there's seven, seven, maybe even eight. Yeah, and there'll be many more by the time all's said and done. All right, I think we're finished. Are we out of time? I think we are. Thumbs Trick. up means trick or treat. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week here on the front row.